Also, we'd like for you to turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. We want to read a portion of Scripture that most all of you could quote. Maybe not word for word, but all Pentecostals have uh, heard this preached on several times, as that is the Scripture. I want to talk about five tools of Satan. Five tools of Satan. Now, these are not the only tools that he uses against us. In Ephesians 6... The Apostle Paul is talking about the warfare of the Spirit-filled believers. If you are Spirit-filled, you are no doubt well aware that there is a devil. It is amazing to me how people who are not Spirit-filled sometimes are not even aware that the devil's at work in their lives. It's kind of a subtle thing. Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I use the word, uh, or Paul uses the word finally, because I think what he's doing, he's summarizing the whole book. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That is, stand against his tactics. Stand against his onslaught. Stand against his tools, his implements of war. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand that you may be able to withstand that you may be able to withstand that means stand up against him overcome him God bless you, you may be seated five tools of Satan now these are not the only tools that he has Normally, when we think of the tools of Satan, the first thing that comes to our mind is that he lies to us. And uh, I am not using this as one of the tools. The reason why is because lying is just about the only thing that he can really do to destroy you. You have never heard of Satan just coming down physically and beating someone up. and You've never seen someone lying in the road ditch handcuffed by Satan. But you have perhaps seen someone lying in the road ditch extremely bound by Satan from the standpoint of their spirit bound. All of their hope lost. You see that. So basically what we're talking about is tools that lead an individual into sin or back into sin. See, David said, I was born in sin, shapen in iniquity. We do not classify, even though we 
understand that an innocent little child is born a sinner by virtue of the sinful flesh that he wears, we do not classify that individual as a sinner simply because he does not practice regularly the act of sin. The tendency is there. Incorporated in him is the seed that will grow, that will cause him to be a sinner. All of the tools that I am going to mention, the five tools, are designed to lead a person back into sin, that is, if he's come to the Lord, take him away from God, or if he is born into this world, to lead him into that life of iniquity. The first tool that I want to talk about is discouragement. Discouragement. Of course, Satan comes and lies to us, makes us believe things about ourselves that is not true. Is not true. Now, there are many things that will discourage us, but discouragement is just a big, big tool. This is the reason why that God's people should constantly encourage one another. David at one time was so discouraged and it seemed as if he had nobody to really help him. And the Bible speaks of him going outside the city and lifted his hands and encouraged himself in the Lord. God has the ability to give you great encouragement. Now, the opposite, the anonym of discouragement would be courage. Discourage would be courage. In other words, discouragement simply means that you have lost all of your courage. Now, we, we normally don't think of a courageous person as being the opposite of an individual who has been discouraged. But it simply means you take away courage. I think in a much broader sense, though, here in our English vernacular, we just when we talk about discouragement, we're just talking about someone who's just not feeling so good about life, not feeling so good about themselves. Deuteronomy, the first chapter, verse 21, the Bible says, Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. We're looking at a, a, a beautiful, beautiful setting didn't turn out to be so good, but it was, it, the potential was there. Israel is at a place called Kadesh Barnea. The word Kadesh Barnea in the Hebrew means a place of consecration. God had given to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, the land that we know in the Bible as Canaan's land, or the promised land. It's called the promised land because that's exactly what happened. God promised this land to them. 400 years passed, and Israel was in Egyptian bondage. God miraculously delivered them in just a moment's time. They went into the wilderness was just a few days' journey from 
the Egyptian border or the Red Sea to the Promised Land. They could have easily marched there on foot in just a matter of days. They spent 40 years in the wilderness before they possessed the land. At the place of consecration, a few days later, they look at the promised land and they realize that they must go over. But notice what the scripture has says. says Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers have said unto thee, Fear not, neither lose your courage or be discouraged. What happened to them? They allowed fear to dominate. They lost their courage. They sent out spies. Twelve spies went to spy on the land. And they came back and they told Moses, at least ten of them, Returned early, they said, we can not take the land. This was so discouraging to Moses and also to these people. They lost their courage simply because they missed their assignment. I preached two messages on this at Calvary Gospel Church already and one in our district. You know, the thing about it is, God never told those spies to go over and see if they could take the land. The land was promised to them. They missed their assignment because they went over there to determine whether they could or could not. That was not their assignment. Their assignment was to go over there and spy out the land to find out exactly how we are to do it. Now victory is promised to every person on the face of this earth. It's promised to you. You can prevail over the devil. You can inherit eternal life. Did you hear what these children quoted this morning in Acts 2.38? I will quote it for you, but I would also like to quote Acts 2.39. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But it doesn't stop there. The Scripture says, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Eternal life is for whosoever will. Some people say, well, I just can't do it because it's just so difficult to live for God these days. But my Bible tells me in Romans the fifth chapter where sin doth abound, the grace of God doth much more abound. That simply means that there is never a problem that comes your way that God will not give you the sufficient leading and guiding of the heart, which is grace to deliver you. Praise God. Discouragement. What about your promised land? Separate and apart from eternal life, many children of the Lord receive promises. The Bible tells us, that the promises of God are yea, and they are amen. But sometimes we forget about what God has promised us. Sometimes we forget about the prayers that we've had in our closet of 
in which we felt that God spoke to us and told us certain things. We forget about messages in tongues and interpretation. We've had quite a few messages in tongues and quite a few interpretations recently. At our prayer and Bible conference that we just experienced this past week, we had many messages in tongues, many messages, uh, many interpretations, many prophecies. God just, I mean, just came down and blessed us in a great way. Let me just encourage all of you who perhaps may be discouraged. Oh, and there's so many things can get you down. Live above those things. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Praise God. Keep looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the captain of our salvation. Praise God. God wants to make you feel good about your relationship with Him. God wants you to feel good about life. Some people just get down on life. They feel they can't trust anyone. They feel that life is so cruel and so hard. I remember reading in American history so many, many statements about the West and the the pioneers that conquered the West. Over and over and over, you read, it was hard country. It was hard land. Along the wagon rut trails that led out to the Northwest Territory, countless of thousands of people were buried in the ground. If you go to North Platte, uh, what is that, South Dakota? I think it is North Platte, South Dakota. North, Brother Bill was telling me that. Nebraska, all right, that's it, North Platte, Nebraska. There is a place out there, even today, the wagon ruts are visibly three feet deep. Where they cut those big old ruts going out west. Hard country, they said. Well, life, as far as I can see, according to the book of Genesis, is just, it's just hard. Period. It really is. But uh, the Bible tells us that we can have God inside us that's greater than the devil. That uh, if we know how to exercise our relationship with God and use all the implements of war that He has given to us, there's no need for us to be discouraged. Do you understand that God is in control? Do you understand that He will not allow anything to come to you that He has not already carefully plotted the road through for you? Do you know that? Praise God. Discouragement. The next thing I want to talk about is strife. The devil uses strife as a tool. Uh, Proverbs, the 16th chapter, verse 28. If you turn there with me, I want to read a scripture. The Bible says, A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separated chief friends. And then Philippians, the second chapter, if you would, verse 3, Philippians 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. What is strife anyway? It's just that little strife is something 
I'm going to put it this way on purpose so that you remember. Strife is that little something that gets between people that you can't quite put your finger on. It's one of the hardest things in the world to identify. In other words, it's just friction that exists between people. Uh, the Bible says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Doing things just for the sake of stirring things up. Uh, the book of Proverbs talks about uh, people who soweth discord among the brethren. Proverbs, the sixth chapter, verse 16, these six things that the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now this is something that the devil uses. You know, sometimes... <clears throat> You just, I want to use the word, innocently fall into the trap of just saying some little something about someone. You've got to be careful about that. You know, the person that you talk against may be the person that is being used as a strong pillar, a foundation, an example to the person that you're speaking with. You follow what I'm saying? See, the Bible says that it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck, cast in the sea, than to offend one of my little ones. Now, I want to put all this together if I possibly can. Let's say that I come up to you and tell you something about, let's say, Pastor Manley. Maybe it's nothing serious, but it's just just a little bit of something that ought not be said. And Pastor Manley is the person in your life that you have always admired and used as a guidepost for your walk with God. Now, what's going to happen then? I'm going to pitch you mentally against the person. The person then is left out there without that person, without that example. Maybe it's just some little something, but it just killed a little bit of influence. It didn't seem to be so bad. It didn't seem to be so horrible. Surely you would forgive me and God would forgive me. But the horrible consequences that follow when an individual is stripped, literally stripped, of that example in his life. I remember years ago a minister that I highly admired. And I remember telling someone that I had been invited to, to speak at a youth camp is in Texas, just a session in the youth camp. And I said, I feel so, I don't know, so small, so humble, 
speaking there because, and I made this statement, I said, because the man that I am to follow is Brother So-and-so, he pastored a large church in Nacogdoches, Texas, and the person to whom I said it, and this, this man there was such a great example to me. I highly admired this man. He looked at me and he says, oh, he said, he just, this man's not anything. He said, well, if you knew all of his blunders and all of his mistakes. and Now, he was not trying to encourage me by saying that Pastor Milstead was just a man like me. He was not trying. He, and I felt this, had some little something going because he happened to pastor in the same city. And I went home and it hurt me. It it momentarily changed my whole outlook on this man's ministry. I'm not talking about the man that told me this. Yes, it did change my outlook on him too. But I got to thinking about, well, maybe I have admired and respected this man man too much. Maybe maybe I am. Maybe he is going to let me down. Well, I can say this. Looking back now, some 28 years, 29 years later, this man has really never let me down. He has always walked impeccably before God. But just that little statement, that wasn't much, was it? What harm would that do? And strife is that little bitty something that is interjected that makes the guilty party feel quite innocent. What did I do? Why, that's all I said. I didn't do much. You can't fault me there, can you? It's one of the tools that Satan uses. You follow what I'm saying? Now, we first use encouragement. We need to be encouraging one another. But the devil comes along and plants that little seed in there that causes us to be pitted against one another. Proverbs, the 26th chapter, verse 20, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. Sister Grant and I are building a new home. First thing we did, after getting inside, we put in a fireplace. We were burning the fireplace before the furnace was put in, or before it was operable. The thing about it is the wood wouldn't last all night. So <clears throat> I purposely go down late at night and build a fire and go down early in the morning and build it. Sometimes, though, I just couldn't get out of bed early enough to get down there and it was already out. Well, man, if this wood would just last longer. I just had some old junk wood, not good hard wood. It puts out a lot of BTUs and... Just some old junk wood that I picked up down on the farm. Soft wood. Because it doesn't heat well and it burns up fast. And 
I'd just cut that air intake down and make that thing burn so slow, but it just wouldn't last as long as I wanted it to. Of course, the fireplace has a nice glass door on it. My wife cautioned me, don't build a fire too close to the door because the salesperson said, if you do this, it'll get all sooty and you can't. it won't look so romantic. I didn't care anything about romance. I was wanting heat out of that thing. I piled it all to the full, and it burned all night long. Sister Grant said, yes, it did, but look at the door. Now, the wise man, Solomon, uses this as an example. He says, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail barrier, no tail barrier, the strife ceaseth. In other words, just don't add any fuel to the fire. The land sakes of life. If somebody comes along and tells you something, don't put your tongue in gear before your brain turns over. Some people have a bad habit of that. They don't think past the nose on their face. They don't think about the harm that it's going to do. They don't think about what it does to the body of Christ. They don't think of how that this can literally slaughter an in, the influence of an individual. We've heard a lot about character assassination. There's a lot of that going on. Help it not to be in the house of God. Verse 21, the Scripture goes on to say, As coals are to burning coals and wood to the fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Something you need to hear, because I know of individuals that every time there's a problem, they're smack dab in the middle of it. I've told some people, how come... Every time there's a problem, your name is always mentioned. And this is the pat answer I get always. I, I really, I don't have no idea. I, I, what did I do? I, I just happened to be at the wrong time, in the wrong place. But why are you always at the wrong time, in the wrong place? I, 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 I didn't really, I didn't do anything. But influence was killed. God forbid. We need to influence each other in a positive way. Not in a negative sense. The next thing I want to talk about is compromise. <clears throat> this is a tool that Satan uses. Compromise. Proverbs 23, 23. The Bible t teaches us to buy the truth and sell it not. Praise God. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth and sell it not. Second <clears throat> Timothy 4, verse 4. The Bible speaks of a generation or, let's say, a society of people that will turn their ears away from the truth and they shall turn into fables. That's saying that some people would rather go ahead and just feel bad about their wrong 
at the expense of losing out with God. You hear what I'm saying? Just tell me a story, preacher, that will make me feel good about my wrong. And I remember listening to a minister one time, not one of our ministers, but he was saying, uh, because he, he kind of inherited a little situation and a lot of pressure was put on him and a lot of money people in the community, they were putting this on this preacher and this preacher wanted to make everybody feel good about themselves. You may say, how do you know? Because he told me that. So he used for an example, he had a tomato can, he had a label on it, he pulled this label off, and he said, now you think there's tomatoes in here because the label says so. What he had done, he'd rigged up a can. You know, he'd taken the label off and uh, some corn or something and put a tomato label on it. says, you can't tell what's in the can by the label on the outside. Now, in a positive sense, you could you could make a good message of truth out of that. See? The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Now, that was never intended to be used to cover up for sloppiness and, un, and an undisciplined life. It just simply means that you can fool some people with your righteousness, but you can't fool God. And so what he did was, he said, Now, what I want you to do is, I want you to forget about anything pertaining to discipline, and this type thing. And he says, now, you just don't be judging me and don't be judging one another. Great, great message from that vantage point. But I knew in my heart that this man was compromising. The reason why I knew it was because he, he sought my counsel. He told me of a vision that God gave to him. And God told him, said, I want to take you into a walk like you've never had before because of the influence you have in your community. And he said, I saw a burning bush just like Moses saw. And the Lord told me, don't take off your shoes. Just walk near and put your tongue against this tree and set it on fire. Because of the influence you have in your community, you can win this community to the Lord. He said, I just got so far and he said, I saw this huge crowd of people that says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And he said, I withdrew. I could not do it. And he told me, he said, now listen. He said, I made the mistake of my life. He said, I'm caught up in the influence of people I have not changed the community. They have changed me. But he says, I tell them what they want to hear. He said, I'll probably have the greatest funeral that any minister's ever had in this community. What a testimony against a man. What a testimony against a man. And needless to say, my friend, we're living... In the time and the hour in which many people are compromising, compromising truth, turning away from God, 
I don't think you have to be nasty to be firm. There's one thing that some people have never found the secret of. How can you be firm in what you believe without being nasty? You know, some people believe the truth is license to make them nasty. Not so. The truth should testify to every man of the importance of this individual being gentle and kind as Jesus was. You see, if what I'm saying is important to you, and if the doctrine that I believe is important, I'd be a fool if I do not seek out a productive means to get you to listen to it. Love is the vehicle by which the truth and the doctrines of the Scripture are transported to a man. But on the other hand, we must understand that many people are just patting people on the back and telling them what they want to hear. The Bible says that's going to happen in the last... It is happening in the last days. Mm. Revelation, the second chapter, there is a letter that's written to Pergamos. I'm really amazed when I look in the Scripture at, at uh, what takes place. I say what takes place, how things go together. The word Pergamos means married. In Revelation 2, this letter to Pergamos, verse 14, the Bible tells us, And I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Now, Balaam was the prophet of God in the Old Testament who withstood God, and even Balaam's donkey talked to him. Do you remember that? How would you feel if a donkey talked to you? You'd know one thing, that if God arrested your attention by having a donkey talk to you, he indeed wanted you to listen. But did he listen? No. He said, I can't go prophesy against the children of Israel, but I do have this one plan. And the plan is that you send all of your young men down there to support these ladies, and we'll have sparks flying across the camps, and you know how romance is. The old statement, love is blind. Solomon calls it sickness. He said, I'm sick of love, which is love sick." And most all of us know what that's about. And we'll have so many sparks flying, they'll forget all about what they believe. That's exactly what happened. And in a spiritual sense, what the Scripture is saying, that that's the way compromise works. That there's influence that goes forth and back and forth between people. I influence you and you influence me, but we should influence people to uphold the truth, not to tear the truth down. And sometimes even the doctrine of grace in the Scripture is grossly misunderstood. Grace is not licensed to sin. Calvary and the forgiveness of of your sin upon the cross is not licensed to sin. Paul says, 
It's further proof that you can live free from sin. Read Romans 6. And the ultimate goal, as far as grace is concerned, and its work in your life is to make you gracious and separate you from sin. Isn't that right? God forbid that we should compromise. But we do live in that hour in which people are compromising. Compromising what they believe. The next thing I want to talk about is discontentment. Oh, what a powerful tool. I've known of people that are just never happy with anything. And let me say this. Our American lifestyle enhances discontentment. We're constantly in search of something bigger and better and newer. Just recently someone talked to me about getting a computer. I said, well, I know where there is a computer I can get. And I said, oh, that's five years old. You, we won't be happy with that. I said, yeah, but you don't know that I won't be. It's free. It doesn't cost me anything. Yeah, but there's something newer. I said, that may be true, but see, I don't even have to turn on a computer. And to me, who has a limited knowledge of computer anyway, I would think that this thing is just as modern as the person who used it five years ago. You follow what I'm saying? But it's so slow and you have to wait. You know, I said, yeah, I, may, I understand that, but I, I still think, you know, it's free and, oh, it's just go, go spend the money on something new. Yeah, but, you know, the time I get it and learn it, it'll be obsolete. Somebody looked at the old albums that we had and said, Oh, they got something greater than this. But these D discs, CDs or whatever, what they call. See, now I'm not talking against those things. I'm not talking about against modern computers. What I am saying, though, that we could get so filled. I listened to some of these discs. Steve and Joyce uh, have a disc player, and I'm telling you, it's immaculate. Now, if I were to go buy something right now, that's what I'd get. You follow what I'm saying? And if I was going to buy a computer, I certainly wouldn't buy one that's obsolete. But I'm saying that we get so programmed, see, thinking that, that it has to be. It even has to be when we don't have money for it. We've got to dress stylish and live in the, the best of houses and drive the best of cars. We become discontent with just transportation, even though it may be the third car we have. You follow what I'm saying? So our American lifestyle diametrically opposes the lifestyle of the Bible and does, in, in fact, enhance discontentment. Just basically unhappy with everything. 1 Timothy 6, 6 tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. When you find Jesus... You should settle down and be content. 
Now, I'm preaching a message tonight that I think our church is ready for. And I'm going to title the message, I Am Free. I think it'll be a great revelation to some of you who are bound by products, bound by influences. When Jesus says, I come to make you free, there's more to it than just sins being forgiven. Some people will head headlong toward bankruptcy. And they can't control themselves simply because they cannot be content. As a result, they just, you get a house, got to move from this one to another one. Get a car, got to sell it and get another one. Please don't misread me. Car rusts out. There are times in which you need to get another car. There are times and situations which you need to move. But I'm talking about just that mad feeling inside that gnaws away at you, that makes you competitive. I've got to keep up with the Joneses. If there's any Joneses here, I'm really not talking about you. Just an old statement, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Children used to be happy playing with tin cans. Children used to be happy playing with blocks that that dad made out of a two before. Now you go in some homes and just wall-to-wall toys. Not even enough room to... And the child is frustrated because the child has to make a decision as to which toy I play with today. Sounds funny, but it's true. Got to have a baby that cries like little sister. I mean tears coming out of the eye. Squeeze its finger and see if tears won't come out of the eye. Got to have a child that wets its pants. Get this little doll. Give it water and it just goes right through it. Now they even have them where they, they actually give birth to babies. So much for that. I didn't know babies had babies, but they do now. But you follow what I'm saying? See, this kind of lifestyle enhances this. Against you buying toys for your kids. I think you should be discreet. I think you you should not overdo it. Because what you may be doing is making a product for some young man or some young lady that will never be happy in life, marriage, church, or whatever. Hebrews 13.5 tells us that we should be content with such things as we have. Discontentment is a powerful tool. Now the last tool I want to talk about, and my time is expiring, is false doctrine. 
tool of false doctrine. I go to Isaiah 28. This scripture unfolds some great revelations as to how truth comes about. Isaiah 28, verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Now notice what it says. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little and there a little. Now what the scripture is saying. That truth is unfolded to us. Just a little bit at a time. And how a person grows spiritually is just a little bit at a time. There are some things that took me a long time to understand. Now, I feel that I've always been a fairly good disciplinarian. I have disciplined myself to pray. I've disciplined myself to fast. I've disciplined myself to seek God. And I disciplined myself to under to do a lot of things before I understood them. And I think that is somewhat necessary. You know, you have to discipline yourself to go to class before the lecture will do you any good. And if what we do here in church is important, it only makes sense that it's important to get here to do it. Now, that's really profound. But there are certain things that you have to do in order to receive. But I will say this. When the revelation comes, it makes the discipline aspect a whole lot easier. And if, for some reason, then, after you come into truth, you lose that particular discipline where you're not willing to follow God one step at a time, inch by inch. What happens to you? The Bible tells us, let's just read the whole thing. For precept, I'm going to read in verse 10, must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue, Will he speak to this people to whom he said, This is the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. He's talking about a person coming into a full knowledge, into the full focus, the face of Jesus. Verse 13, however, reverses this. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. It's talking about an individual who disciplined himself enough to go to the truth. After he got into the truth, he didn't discipline himself enough to stay in it. And so as a result, he just, he was just, a lot of people go into false doctrine because they just simply get tired Just tired. They just, they just don't want to. I talked to a man not too long ago, and I told him, 
You know what's going to happen to you now? If you don't take this step that you know that you need to take, you'll end up in false doctrine. I regret that this man is not with us. And I also regret that the great revelation of the oneness has been taken away from him. You hear me? False doctrine is a powerful tool. To, to constantly assure that your mind will be open, that revelation will come, you have to be disciplined enough to walk in the light that God has given to you. In our world, we see, we have too many couch potatoes. Our world is teaching people that it's not valuable, it's worthless to discipline yourself. And the easy, easy way will always take you away from truth. Romans 16, 11, pardon me, 16, 17. I'd like to read, and I'd like for you to stand with me if you would right now. Romans 16, 17, the Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. The devil promotes false doctrine. And the reason why this is such a sly tool is because you can still talk about Jesus. You can still clap your hands. You can even come to church regularly. It's amazing the devil do anything to keep you out and once you get in and do anything to shove you over on the wrong side. Hold fast the doctrine. Anyone who is in false doctrine should be labeled. You hear me? Now you may say, why? Because you're in violation of Scripture. You don't. Should be marked. Let's go back over these tools. Discouragement. Are you discouraged today? God wants you. God wants to encourage you. Strive. Has someone tried to sow discord between you and someone else? Compromise. Do you feel maybe that you're letting down a little bit? You feel discontent, unhappy, unrest. What about false doctrine? You know the world is full of it. The Antichrist will even have the power to perform great miracles. 
Don't be fooled by things like that. I want to summarize this by just going back to my original text, reading it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore? What's he saying? What is he saying when he says wherefore? Because of this, you need to do what? Take on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking on the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and the word of God. God wants to fully armor you. Why? To protect you. Do you see the value of this? Take off the armor and see how long you'll last in this perverted, wicked world of ours. You won't last. You won't last for a second. You won't last any longer than gasoline will last. It's thrown into a fire. You'll quickly just dissipate. Fade. Praise God. Five tools of Satan. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul then closes the book. He summarizes it. That seems to be a good summary for life. You want to prevail over the wicked one? You want to win over the enemy? Commit yourself. Commit yourself to be fitted with the armor of God. Bow your heads with me, would you? Now, Lord Jesus, this message has been preached. It's in your hands now, Lord. I pray, God, talk to these, your people, I know, Lord, you're much concerned. For, Lord, I know you gave me this message for them. I am asking, God, that you walk up and down this auditorium. Deal with hearts. I bind the evil one. I bind every spirit that's contrary to truth. I bind the lying spirit of the evil one. By the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, take control right now as our praise singers sing to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, victory, victory shall be mine. Oh, yes. Victory.
shall be mine if I hold my peace. Oh, yes. Let the Lord fight my battle. Hallelujah. If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battle. Praise God. Let's sing with our praise singers. If you want to come and pray, come on right now. Now is the time to come. Victory, victory shall be mine. If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battle. If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battle. Victory shall be mine. Victory, victory shall be mine. Victory, victory shall be mine. If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles. If I hold my peace. Let the Lord fight my battlefield. Three victories shall be mine. Victory, victory shall be mine. Victory, victory shall be mine. If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles. If hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles. Victory, victory shall be mine. Victory, victory shall be mine. That's it. Let's declare a victory. victory Come on and give your heart to the Lord. Come on and pray. Or find someone to pray with. If hold my peace. Let the Lord fight my battles if I hold my peace. And let the Lord fight my battles with three victories shall be mine. Oh, yes, God is alive and God is good. There's still time for you to come. Come on, right now. If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles. If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles. Three victories shall be mine. Three victories shall be mine. If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles. If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles. Three victories shall be mine. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, those demons 
will have to flee. Tell me who can stand before us when we call on His great name. Jesus, 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 we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, those demons will have to flee. Tell me who can stand before us. Jesus, we have the victory. 